0: Hello everyone and welcome to In This Economy, the podcast where young people from Zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they are navigating life in the current economic circumstances with me, your host, Kim Nyajeka. Now, I know last week there was no episode and I have no excuse, no explanation other than the circumstances have been circumstancing and that's all I have to say, Uh, but we are back with the final leg of season three, which as always, I'm very excited to share with you. And this week, my guests and I are discussing something I think we've all experienced at one point or another in our lives, and that is imposter syndrome. And this can loosely be defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud even though you've worked hard you deserve to be in the place that you're in Things are just not moving the way they should be so yes i do hope you enjoy it we had a lot of fun recording it and sharing our experiences so yeah as always please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at in this economy podcast on instagram and follow me your host at kimia jekka on twitter and let's keep the conversation going i would love to hear your experiences with imposter syndrome and how it's impacted you especially if you're like me in the early stages of your, your professional career. Um so yeah let's keep the conversation going and get straight into the episode. Okay so today we are discussing unpacking imposter syndrome with my wonderful guest Kudzy. Hey Goodzie
1: Hi Kim, thanks so much for having me.
0: No, thank you for joining. Do you want to introduce yourself to the people before we get into it?
1: Sure. Let me let me let me pull up my CV.
0: Yes, um, please.
1: I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on Twitter as Kudzi Mataba professionally, and I think I'm Lady of Sleeping personally. That mm-hmm. that's I guess yeah. I think that's about it, and I'm sure everything else we can talk about a little more in the in the interview itself.
0: Niela, thank you. And thank you so much for making the time. So I think we are the textbook definition of social media friends. We have never met in person, but we stay chatting and talking. And I'm like, I feel like we are living and experiencing the same thing, especially with regard to this specific topic. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you.
1: As am I. Like, I I want to say I've thought long and hard about it um that i hope my my thoughts really do reflect mine. many many thoughts on on this issue
0: um so my first question for you today is um what role do economic factors play in your career goals
1: i think that that's really a great question and i'm not just saying that because as a zimbabwean i think looking back at the beginning of i would say early uni end of university end of high school a career goal to me I think for a very long time was first of all, what makes sense and then what gets you out of Zoom. Being at the end of high school and thinking broadly that I was really interested in a career in diplomacy and sort of track one diplomacy. So working for my government, but working for the government just did not make sense. Like life is bad for a Zimbabwean and even worse for a civil servant. And the most natural way I thought of progressing into, you know, the position I wanted was to start right at the bottom as an intern or whatever and work your way up. And that just didn't make sense, right? Mm. So I decided to study law uh, because law has very natural connections, I think, with international relations and diplomacy and that sort of field. And In about my second year, I realized a lot of my friends were starting to get signing contracts, and a lot of the contracts were in commercial law. And I think most people who've gone who studied law can can attest the fact that commercial law is is framed as the place to be. It's the place of the money. It makes sense. You're going to live the life, in inverted commas, that you want if you become a commercial lawyer. So there again, economic factors were what was driving my thinking. And I think the first wake-up call to that sort of for me to realize that's how I was viewing my career was when I had an interview with a UK firm that was recruiting locally from South Africa, and I went through the the interview process. My good friend had gotten a job with them, and you know, she had, you know, shown me all of the ropes, how to trick the system, basically. Not to trick the system, but you know, how what what sort of candidate they're looking for. And I remember getting my feedback the day after a very long and hard day of like assessments and being told, like, your interview is great, your grades are great, you are great, but you have no interest in commercial law. And that was really hurtful, but it was also really true. And that was the first time I realized, wow, so you can have the grades, you know, I would completed my first undergrad with distinction, you can have the grades, you can be well spoken, you can, you know, present yourself well, but you can't trick people into your interests. And that was a difficult pill for me to swallow. And for the first time, I started to realize that, you know, I could entertain career goals beyond what would get me out of them. But even now, when I was thinking of, okay, so I can think of my career goals on a more personal level and not frame them According to what I think a young Zimbabwean's dream should be, I then started to think what makes sense within the Zimbabwean economy. And the Zimbabwean economy, I think, particularly for legal practitioners, is quite narrow. So the people I know personally who are who are you know who have decent lives as legal practitioners work in private practice probably or for a bank or as general counsel for a firm and whatever. And those are all the things about the law I hated. But it had to make sense, right? You know, the same way we grew up to be told you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, all of those things. It just had to make sense. And something I'm really grateful for is that COVID has kind of started to open up, especially my mind, in, in terms of what's possible, even if you are located in Zimbabwe. And personally, my last two roles have been globally recruited, which is great. But I think at the back of my mind is still this question of, if those opportunities fall away, what can you do in Zim? And I've been thinking, I'm so sorry, I've been going on, but I've been thinking about doing my PhD for some time. And for the longest time, my question was always, where can I study? or Where can I do a PhD where I can then have the right to remain afterwards? And it was only, I think, a few months, not even a few months ago, a few weeks ago, that for the first time I thought, actually, this question should be, where can I study that make sense for my career goals, like where are the programs that suit my interests and where are the projects that I want to work on, rather than, you know, where can I study and then stay? So in those, you know, lots of different ways, career goals have always been, for me personally, framed around what makes sense in them, or how can you get out of Zim? And I think I can, I'm going to leave that one there. Mm. for us to unpack maybe a little bit
0: i can resonate with that a lot because like you i went to south africa and for my undergrad and studying law corporate law is like painted as the be all and end all like that's where you want to be that's how you're going to get a car a house and whatever and all of that good stuff mm-hmm. and a hundred percent my vision has always been what can i do to leave the country what can i do to stay out of the country and do all of that, you know, like that was the economic factors were like the be all and end all. But I really like what you said about how you can't trick you, the system to like, um, hide your interests. Those, those always end up like showing, showing up in one way or another that it's like, yeah, no, this is great, but you're actually not cut out for this or you wouldn't fit into this. And, being in a career right now, personally, that I don't necessarily like in corporate commercial practice. I'm like, yeah, there's no way to trick myself into figuring out how much I like this or how much I don't like, how much I'm like, I can figure out like, oh, this is relevant to my interests. It just, it isn't. And that does mm-hmm. take a toll on you. So as much as economic factors do make sense, sometimes you're just like, okay, but my interests as well. And balancing yeah. that as a young Zimbabwean or someone from a <laughs> developing country where your economy is not that strong is hard because it's just like, am I privileged yeah. enough to actually have interests? Is it a thing I can do? Is it, Can I actually do that? <laughs> or should I really be focused on economic factors? You know, so yeah. I can definitely like, relate to what you're saying. I
1: don't think like, you know, growing up, happiness was ever, you know, and I must, I, I really need to credit my parents on this one because my parents, I remember my mom being like to me, I don't care what you do as long as you can feed yourself at the end of the day, whether you play the guitar or you sing, whatever it is. And I, and I think as a child, I initially believed that until you start to grow up and, you know, become more aware of the economic situation and you realize that that just will make sense. It will make me happy, but it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really unfortunate that you know i guess for a lot of us where we, we we grow up and we have all of these things that we want to do and then the financial situation just changes and you have to do what makes sense
0: i know and even now i still question all right i would like to be happy but like am i even in a position to consider happiness in my decision making process um, I
1: say, like, and i think this is the first time i'll even admit it sometimes i look at those calls for like global recruitment of nurses and nurse aides and i think you know, if I was to leave this whole, you know, my, my 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 desires and my career path alone, and I was just to suck it up and become a nurse aide, I would probably be earning more than I do. And yeah. you know, at the end of the day, like the things I'll probably be able to buy myself and being able to live in a first world country will probably just compensate. And then I remind you know, then I come back to earth and I think you know, we're not there yet. I have no interest in healthcare. Yeah, but for you to even entertain those thoughts because they seem to present a viable economic out of the of, of, of them is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. But I think I think what you said really segues nicely into my next question because it frames it in a little bit of a different way than than I imagined it. But like the idea that you would go into a field that's completely opposite to what you're doing so that you can buy nice things or live a nice life or live in a first world country. Um that's like coming from like the pressure to achieve a lot of things like you need to be not only internally successful but also look appear as if like guys six years worth of school was actually worthwhile my fanciful dreams were actually worthwhile so do you feel pressured to achieve a lot
1: I think a lot of young I would be surprised if a lot of young Zimbabweans didn't and whenever I you know I think of, of of being a young Zimbabwean, I always think of all of these things that we're told about what it is to be Zimbabwean. So, like, you know, Zimbabweans are the most hardworking people in the room. We speak the best English, we're the most educated, all of those things which you know are often unsubstantiated, but to some extent can be contextually true. We've been branded as this exceptional, you know, country or you know, nationality that being substandard doesn't seem to fit into what it means to be Zimbabwean. And also when like, I think of how many people have like a million streams of income. It's almost embarrassing to say I have one stream of income, you know, like that's bare minimum. We don't do bare minimum in, in in our society. And probably that's also because, you know, you really have to do the most to make ends meet. But I also think that there are other things about, you know, who we are culturally as a society, country that puts a lot of pressure to, on people to achieve a lot. And I hate to be this person who brings up high school because, you know, that was 10 years ago mm. and over that. but. I was so surprised to find out that there are schooling systems that don't grade children like one to 10 and whatever. Whereas in Zim, I, growing up in my personal experience, your academic performance was your identity. You always mm-hmm. have to have something that distinguishes you. So you had to be the top performing student or the top athlete. And that's, that's what made you who you were within, you know, the, in the social order of things. And I, it comes from a good place. But that sort of pressure to to overachieve, I think, is pretty ingrained in in who we are or how we see ourselves as people. And that also will then translate, you know, after you finish university, you have to, you know, be seen to be a graduate who has, you know, who who goes to Queen of Hearts, who has these shoes, who lives in this area. You know, I think it's, it's crazy that whenever I think of buying a house, I'm thinking of when will I ever afford to buy a house in Mount Pleasant or Bardell or Vinona? Because, Mm. you know, that's, that's where successful people live if that makes sense. Yeah. But I also think that there are other elements that put a lot of pressure. I think I'll speak, you know, about myself. And that's the fact that I think as a young Zimbabwean, a young African, very little is handed to you. Mm. So like, I remember reading that U S admission college admission scandal and thinking that could never be me. Like life has never been handed to me. I've always had to, you know, work for what I have. And because there are a million of us, well not like the 13 million of us fighting for limited opportunities, you have to be exceptional because nothing will be given to you. I think that also puts or continues to put a lot of pressure on me, that this idea that there isn't enough to go around. So if you're going to make it, you have to, you know, be above ordinary. Also thinking about being a Zimbabwean who's lived out of the country for some time the fact that I feel that I have to justify my existence here, like justify why I have this opportunity to be here, you know, this job at this company or wherever it is, also puts a lot, like I can't be average. There Mm are, you know, 10 million nationals of this country, 50 million nationals of this country who need jobs and opportunities. And I have one. I can't be average. If I want one, I have to, you know, put in, whatever more is necessary for me to to justify against my existence and then I think looking back personally uh, and where I think my pressure to achieve a lot comes from is the fact that I almost feel like I don't have an excuse not to achieve a lot so my parents my family have sacrificed so much for me to have the education that I have and the opportunities that I have like what is your excuse like how do I justify taking a year out of life to just figure things out like life has not been that difficult to you for you you know you've you've got an education you have qualifications why are you not doing the most and that doesn't come from anywhere else other than rather really internally like not feeling like i deserve a break or i deserve to be average i can't afford to be average if that makes sense
0: that actually makes perfect sense and your eye can relate to everything you've said on so many different levels Um, especially the part where you know you feel like not only can I achieve something, but I have to justify why I'm here. I've definitely felt the same pressures as well. Um, as, and you say well, over high school, I am here to say I am not over high school. That was a traumatic experience for me. And <laughs> it definitely shaped who I uh, who I am. For the better, but also for the worse. Um, and it's it's, it's it's an experience that I, I went to a very high school that put a lot of value and pressure on academics. And for example, if you didn't have academic colors, people would... I grew up looking at seniors, you know, who didn't write like their O-levels, the exams we write when we were 16. If they didn't get academic colors after their O-levels, I'm just like, yo, something is wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like... yeah yeah. that's that's the environment we're in and that shaped Mm -hmm. the way I looked at other people this it shaped definitely the way I looked at myself and Mm -hmm. I think my pressure to achieve definitely stems a lot from that experience but also feeling like you have to prove yourself but also feel like you know you're worthy of the opportunities and you're worthy to be out like When you get out of the country, like proving that, you know, you actually are worthy to be here and that this is where I guess the imposter syndrome kicks in because, right, you work really hard, you know, you do everything that you quote unquote have to do. You get to where you are. You go through the recruitment process, something similar to what you described. It's a long, hard. If if anyone has ever experienced job seeking or studying or just trying to get into a new situation, it's a hard experience and I feel like the way the world is going as much as we don't take like traditional things you know the way our parents for example got jobs like you write your little cv you drop it off you have your interview you continue now we have like recruitment you know cycles stage one yeah. to, to 15. <laughs> um, you have an assessment day at an assessment center like it's so complicated they want you to make a video talk about yourself do all of that kind of stuff So you make it through all of that and you get the position and you get to where you need to be. But not even that leaves you secure in your position. You still feel like despite having gone through all of that, what am I doing here? Do people know I'm a fraud? All of that, all of those feelings. So have you personally ever experienced imposter syndrome
1: so I think well before I get into that I love that you you know you bring up high school because I I also I'm embarrassed to say but I think a lot of the unlearning I've had to do as an adult came from things I learned in in high school and particularly towards your value and Mm. what makes you an important you know what makes you a valuable member of whatever community you're in and definitely imposter syndrome is something I, I think as a young adult, I have and continue to face. And I think thinking also about high school, one of the strangest manifestations of imposter syndrome for me was, you know, after being told, I think, you know, my, my, my dad always says they did this because they wanted to push you, right? Like after being told, you're not going to get 15 points, you're not going to get into university. And, and the month before I wrote, well, not the month, but the months before I wrote my A-levels, being told like your best case scenario, are C's. Ds or Es, like you're going to pass, but, you know, that's where you are. And then afterwards, getting my results and having 15 points, thinking what on earth happened here? And for a very long time in my first year, I used to occasionally go and look up my A-level certificate and just make sure that it's still there. It's still mine. This isn't nice. Harry Potter. The, the, the symbols haven't changed because I had just been conditioned. Like, you know, if you grew up in that system where you're constantly being told you're not good enough you know, they're, they're children who are way smarter than you ladies, and you ladies aren't aren't making the mark. So much so that when you do make the mark, you're like, wait, but I was told I could never do this. How on earth? And I remember telling my mom, I sometimes feel like Cambridge is going to call and say, sorry, that was a mistake. And she was like, you being ridiculous. <laughs> but <laughs> but that was That was constantly me. Like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was such a, you know, now I look back and it was, I guess it's such a silly thing, but like, I really went through it for that first year thinking, how on earth did I possibly manage to do this after being told I couldn't? But as, as I said before, I, I, so I studied law um, in South Africa, you start to get um, offers of employment about your second year. And initially I had no real pressure. Like I was just happy to just focus on school. And then my friends start getting contracts and getting signed at all of these big santon firms. My, you know, my closest friend at the time gets signed in the UK. And I think, okay, I need to start applying for jobs. So I remember my friend and I used to like count how many applications we would send a day. And I got to a stage where I think I could easily send 10 to 20 applications a week. And I was just sending these applications out sometimes not even getting a response getting you know like when you know rejection letters so while you don't even have to open it to know what the rest of it is like you I I know the language of a rejection letter and you know sometimes getting rejection letters like months after like you know being like who on earth are you and you're like okay well and then after like having (laughs) going through this like season of rejections and rejections and rejections um eventually getting my first um You know acceptance offer for an internship and thinking how on earth did this happen like what do you know about me i mean what do you not know about me that everyone else knows like why are you even interested Mm -hmm. and then thinking back on my experience with that uk firm and then thinking no i'm going to go for the interview and you're going to realize that i'm a scam so cool i'll come and i remember saying to my dad like i now go to interviews for like work experience like i'm going to become a professional interviewee and then getting the job and thinking this is not right like you mm. shouldn't have taken me no one wanted to take me You're... why have you taken me
0: and the church, <laughs> right and the church said amen <laughs> what i are you me am
1: i you what like I... me, actually maybe <laughs> so you get there right and i was that person who I, 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 this sounds ridiculous, but I study for work, right, just so Mm. that I'm 100% sure, like, what it is that's expected for me, studying, like, you know, reading up on, on things that I think could come up, and, you know, being able to, and that was before COVID, and that was a a position based in South Africa, Mm. so, you know, being able to, like, you know, molding myself into the sort of person I think is the ideal candidate, looking at the other people who work at this firm, trying to see like, you know, we're similar and if I will fit in and I realize, no, I don't. That's where all of the really, you know, ugly stuff of, you know, starting to overwork yourself and making sure. I remember this one time I was given a deadline. The work was needed in five days, but I was having a really, really bad week where I'd made a mistake on something. And I felt the urge to complete the work in two days, just to prove that, hey guys, I am smart. I do have a law degree, I'm not dumb, I deserve to be here, and it becomes a cycle, like, you know, constantly, I, I have the job that I'm going to prove to you why I have the job, and no one cares, Kim. Like, mm. I think once you're there, you know, everyone is just happy to do their work, but, yeah. you know, if you're thinking, I, you know, if you're thinking I'm a fraud and I don't belong here, um, no, it'll, it'll, it'll manifest in, you know, the way you approach things and people and work. So I have friends who uh, migrated um, abroad and pretty early. So some of them even when we were still in high school. And by the time they were like 19 or 20, they were like ready to move out of home, to get cars, to get apartments. And yeah, and when I was 19 or 20, like that pocket money that came from my parents was the end all of my life, right? Mm. And then, you know, you you think, okay, I'm going to get my degree and things will change. And then they don't. I then started like writing and I published some work. And then still my back balance is on zero, right? So I start to think, well, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Because if I was as good as I think I am, I would afford the things people my age should be able to afford. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's how life should work. But that didn't happen for me. And then... Furthermore, going into, you know, trying to make a career for yourself in international economic law and the very manifestation, very many manifestations of that, which is, you know, a society where everyone is probably a doctor. Everyone went to Yale or Harvard or, you know, Oxford
0: and Mm -hmm.
1: so everyone went to those schools and I didn't and Mm -hmm. everyone knows the same people. Like, I think I was just saying to you, like, you know, you get, you get into meetings and everyone knows this professor or everyone knows this UN expert and you have no cooking clue who that person is. Definitely you feel like why on earth am I being, you know, why am I here? Like, how did I get here? Hmm. And then furthermore, you're in a non-conventional, I think, not on a non-conventional career path where you can't, I think it will be one thing if I was aiming to be a partner or director at a firm and I would know I'm taking all of the logical steps to get to where I want to be but because I think the career path I'm on is a bit non-conventional, it's hard for me to measure my progress even amongst other Zimbabweans. Like you and I are in the same field, but unless if I was to say, I'm gonna count how many publications you have against mine and use that as a scale of some sort, it's hard for me to say, you know, you are progressing and I'm not because we're on totally different paths. So that makes it really easy for you to look at yourself and be like, oh my word, what in the scam artistry am I doing? Does anyone even read my work? What is the point of all of this knowledge I think I'm creating? So yeah, I think before I I, I speak your ears off, I'm going to leave that there.
0: Listen, everything you're saying, uh, that that's literally my life as well. If I like take it back to high school to start off with, um I mentioned about the academic colors rate. So at the high school I went to, you needed 7 A's to get academic colors. So the day they were announcing people who got the colors, I remember I had I got 7 A's out of 11 subjects. I got 7 A's like on the dot and that was like my plan, my goal is like as long as I just make it through and get those colors, no one will look at me the way I've been looking at people weirdly for the last four years. And I'll never forget the deputy headmistress saying like, so she announces the one girl who got all A stars, whatever, like the highest of highest grades. So her She got announced yeah. first, right? And then she was like, all right, and on to the people who just made the cut. That was <laughs> <Wow>. like... <laughs> like yeah no for sure i just made the cut and i didn't realize it until later on in life that i was carrying that with me so every time i would accomplish something i'm like yeah but i just made the cut like when i got into my master's program and on scholarship i'm like i'm probably like the bare minimum of the people who made it and got scholarships. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm always just making the cut, even though it's like, despite efforts. And even like, you know, when you got your interview to do your internship, you're like, how did I get here? I'm like, cause you applied, but I'm just like in my, in my head, I'm like, well, yeah. with the things that I've applied for and got it, I've really sat down in places and be like, how did I get here? What don't they know about me? How, what don't they see? And, It's this weird thing where you know you work hard, but like you just don't deserve for that to be to be recognized and especially i mean in the field that we've decided to go into what you're saying is so true that you cannot really measure yourself against something like it's not a traditional okay you take this step and then the next natural step is this the next natural step is that in international economic law you could become an academic you could become a full-time you know consultant you could become like there's so many things you could do and become and it's really flexible that it's so hard to compare yourself but even when you are somewhat on the right path it still feels like I'm not supposed to be here there's someone else progressing faster than me even though I've I've met people who have done an internship and two years later they're the director of an organization of the same organization you know like there's no clear path and you're just kind of they're like oh okay Um, so how do I do that? Or maybe because I'm still at the intern or consulting level, whatever it is, um, you're like, yeah, maybe it's because that person is better than me or they work harder, or whatever. But it's really just who you know, luck, all that preparation, yeah, opportunity. Definitely. For me, my imposter syndrome definitely, I guess, really shows up in it shows up in the same way that you described when you see some of your peers where you kind of started in the same place, but they are going like, they've moved, they've progressed and progressed in huge quotations. They've progressed yeah, to the next yeah. stage faster <laughs> or at a higher degree. And it's just kind of like, okay, if I was to get there, I know for a fact, I'd be like, okay, but I didn't work as hard as this person or do I deserve it? Because I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Yale, I didn't do this. Like it's so consuming. I was at a conference and we were all selected to present papers. So all of us submitted abstracts. Everyone went through the same peer review process. The abstracts that were selected were all invited to the conference, and we presented our papers. And from there, they picked papers to be chapters in a book. Everyone went through the exact same process. If I tell you to this day, I submitted my chapter and I'm still like, nah, they're going to reject it, bro. Like, they're going to see it. Like, they're going to see. <laughs> Even though, like, practically speaking, I'm like, no, this is how the process works. I'm still kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and that's yeah, just a well, constant state because in my mind, I'm like, I've always just made it. I'm the bare minimum. Yeah,
1: like part of like um, how I ended up with two Twitter accounts was because um, my former employer used to encourage us to speak about our publications online, and you know to get people discussing them. And I remember thinking to myself like I'm okay with complete strangers who don't know me reading my work because mm-hmm. they know nothing about me. But now if I'm if I'm like putting my work up on Twitter where there are people who know me, then they're going to read my work and then they're going to realize that actually I'm not as smart as they think I am, and then like that's just going to be really embarrassing for me. Like, I find it embarrassing to say, like, what I'm doing or what I'm working on or, like, to share my work with people where I find my male colleagues are really, like, comfortable with it. But, like, for me, Mm. it's... I cringe, like, you know, it's almost like, oh my word, now you guys are going to read it. I try not to reread stuff that I've published because, Mm. like, if I find a typo or a mistake, I'm thinking, oh my word, I'm such an idiot. How did I miss that? Whereas it's actually the editor and the publisher and a whole lot of other people who also missed it. But I really, really, you know, put that sort of pressure on myself. Sometimes (laughs) I even look up articles that i've published with journals and see like have they been recalled like did someone read this and realize like there was a fundamental error in my thinking? <laughs>
0: and, I <don't, laughs> and i don't think it's that deep definitely definitely and i can also relate on the part of having like the two separate twitters because the twitter that is for the podcast is not like my original like my personal twitter account And when i created the twitter for the podcast even before i had the idea of the podcast i'm like okay i want to talk about more of like my professional and academic ideas here and then you know all the wretched for the culture stuff i'll do on on that account right um because for some reason those two parts of me could not be reconciled like i could not be i couldn't be the (laughs) same person it doesn't make sense and i feel like if i was to say anything like you know nerdy or academic the ratings for it would just go down because because exactly. i also talk about real housewives you know i also want to unpack that and <laughs> for some reason those two things can't coexist and sometimes i'll tweet with one and like forget like oh it's not the other one i'm like but does it matter because it's the same voice because it's really you You're, it's really and I, you <laughs> and i think for me the biggest
1: scam was i always thought once i have this qualification I will be sure of myself. I will speak about this confidently and people will listen to me because you know I have an LLM. And then you get it. So, you know, I, I got my, my first L O M and I didn't mm. feel like an expert. There are people who I studied with, and within two years of, well, yeah, people not even within two years, within a year, they were they were really calling themselves international law experts. And I'm thinking, yeah. uh I'm a person who knows about international law. But I I, I wouldn't have.
0: consider myself an expert, yeah. Really?
1: myself an expert and then now I'm about to get my second LM and I'm thinking I'm still not an expert I'm I'm just a person who is good at learning things and passing exams
0: listen (laughs) (laughs) listen I'm four qualifications deep and right now I'm just like I'm not an expert I just I know one or two things Perhaps. Yeah, I
1: know (laughs) some. I'm familiar.
0: I'm I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with some stuff. But to say an expert, overall, do you think you are comfortable with your career choices so far? Um, And considering everything we've talked about, is there anything you would like to do differently moving forward?
1: So I think um, I first of all owe myself the biggest apology for the years I used to. First of all, try force corporate law down my throat, try, mm-hmm. you know, try to model myself as this corporate lawyer and putting myself in all of these positions where I, you know, those interview processes are really hard and tiring. There was mm-hmm. no need for me to even be doing that. I I wouldn't say I regret it, but there was, yeah, there was just no need for that. I think also that that whole time, and I guess still in some ways, trying to entertain that idea of what makes sense in Zoom and not, not, not approaching my career path with a thought of what do I want or, you know, what am I interested in and always framing it around what should I do for my financial situation to make sense. That was also really tiring because I, I took away so much time that I could be, could have been investing time and skills and the things that I'm actually good at and was using that to try, you know, develop skills that would make me marketable to, you know, the Zimbabwean situation. And I think something I want to do more often is to actually shoot my shot with the audacity of a white male. Mm. And I I find myself often applying to things only if I'm sure that I make the the requirements and not only once, but probably like twice. Like when I apply for something, I want to feel like you have no reason to not accept me, even Mm -hmm. though I know you won't. But I want to be 100% sure that I qualify for this because I guess in my mind, I think when you send like, an, a, a wild application people will sit in the office and they'll laugh at you and then like you know there'll be a whole conference discussing how you know audacious you are for even thinking you, you deserve and it's not like that i think it's either yes or no i think yeah you know, if it's a no
0: it's a much simpler process. No, it's like, <laughs> no shit. It's, I don't think that happens.
1: Like, you know, what is really, and you know, my dad always says to me, what's the worst that could happen if you yeah. put in your application? And in my mind, like, there's a million things. Next thing, I'll be blacklisted from every international right. organ. No, no, it's not that deep. And I, I think I've also come to learn because a lot of the opportunities I've gotten, I do not understand how. Um, The current role I'm in, I remember doing that interview and saying some of the dumbest things i've ever thought in my life (laughs) like you know at the end of the interview you think wow that was that that made no sense (laughs) and i still got the role and Mm -hmm. i think sometimes i think you know applying for things and getting positions are really more than you know what you say in the interview or sometimes even i think your qualifications. I think sometimes people just believe in you and they've believed in you. And that's that. Yeah. And it's so limiting for you. Like if you don't even put yourself out there and apply. Right. Mm. And I think something that I've also only recently started to like embrace properly is the help of mentors. Because I always used to think like approaching the senior person in my field and asking them to mentor me will just expose me to be such a loser. Like now this really smart person will know that I have no idea what I'm doing they'll know, like, my thoughts are so shallow and fickle. Mm. That's embarrassing. And I think I got my first proper, proper mentor, like, a a mentor in my field, like, not just, like, a broad mentor, but a mentor in my field last year. And just being vulnerable to her has been so difficult because sometimes I feel like she's just going to be like, wow, you dumb, dumb child. But she's actually really, really kind. And you realize that a lot of people are actually just trying to figure it out. Mm. Like, it seems like a lot of people... I think in my experience, I've been fortunate to meet people who are honest enough to tell you that, hey, I'm just trying to make this work as well as you are. And I think I I, I I need to stop thinking that everyone woke up and like, you know, decided they were going to become the director of this. And there was one singular path and they did five steps and they were good enough because it doesn't work like that.
0: No, wow, that was so beautiful. I'm just here like, yay. You're so dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> You're so dramatic. I feel like you need <laughs> to listen back and hear yourself speak to understand what what is going on right now. No, I really appreciate you sharing that. And yeah. I can I, I can definitely agree, I'm especially on the part with the mentorship. I first got a mentor last year and a mentor who's exactly in my field, someone who I would, quote unquote, like to be one day. Um and listening to her story and how she got to where she was there was a lot of like trial and error as well there was points where she's like yeah no so so i spent a good mm-hmm. you know 3 years figuring things out and i'm like what? okay mm-hmm. so i'm i'm also not in this like lost or like limboish space but it's also yeah, yeah. it's also the part that also inspired you know me trying to create this platform and this podcast because i'm like okay i put in the past with my career choices i think i've put a lot of pressure on myself to have everything figured out and mm-hmm. to just get from point a to point like Z very quickly like i didn't really care for like the journey you know when people say the journey is what's important i did not care for the journey i wanted to get to the destination and the destination was the good job the directorship whatever it is the house the car all of that kind of stuff I didn't care you know to experience the steps that were going back and like you said if you could apologize to yourself you know for putting those past pressures on yourself I definitely feel that a lot because if I could go back in time I would apologize to myself for not enjoying a lot of experiences because I Hmm. it, it was just like kind of in the waiting room like if i could go back um i don't think i would change my career choices as much but i would just lean into like more experiences and just not let you know the pressure determine my decision making process but also when i'd achieved things not let the imposter syndrome you know overtake that experience
1: hmm. i think if anything i'm i may have not real but maybe mild regrets that there were some opportunities that came that you know presented themselves and i didn't take them because it just didn't seem to make sense Mm -hmm. like what am i going to do with this expertise in zoom or i remember i had an opportunity to do something but at the end of it you had to you know commit to go back to your home country and you know implement all of those things and thinking no 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 i do not want to be tied to to that country like that and that that was a very narrow way of of thinking and looking at life Mm -hmm. but I think definitely owning your achievements more speaking about them not finding them embarrassing because that's what I do I find it really embarrassing (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know almost that thing of you just made it like Mm -hmm. okay fine you got your degree with distinction, but your distinction was just like, that wasn't convincing, was it? You could have been out. Uh-huh. And those are all of the things that, you know, play in your head when even you are achieving, you you keep reminding yourself of all the times that, you know, I just made it or I didn't make it at all. So definitely I am an advocate for kindness and, you know, unworking all of those childhood, I don't want to call them traumas because that's a bit dramatic, but you know, those, those, uh-huh. those ways of seeing ourselves.
0: I have learned um, in therapy that there is a um, big T trauma and small T trauma. Both of them are important. It's important <laughs> not even in the downplaying of the achievement. I think some of these things yeah. we can't downplay because it's impacted the way we see ourselves as adults, you know, like mm-hmm. I find myself sometimes regressing back to like, my 16-year-old self feeling like, okay, guys, mm-hmm. I have just made it, you know, even though you've done a lot more than that. And I think, Ooh. yeah, even with these things, it's acknowledging like, listen, this, this hurts and it sucked, but we, we move, we locomote. Yeah, know? definitely. <laughs> exactly.
1: Definitely. And I've learned something big teeth mm. and little teeth.
0: <laughs> my last question. Do you still continue to feel the need to dream big? Or do you feel like as you're getting older, you're getting more comfortable in what works for you? And where that's coming from is when I was younger, and I credit my parents a lot to this, I, I never thought that I couldn't do anything. Like I, I had the wildest dreams when I was a kid, you know? Um, I was like, I'm gonna be the youngest Secretary General of the United Nations one day. Like those kinds of dreams, you know? And as you get older, um, not only do you realize that's not what I want, but maybe your dreams don't have to be as, I guess, fanciful or as big, you know, they're more in tune with who you are as a person and what you hope to achieve. um, Despite what, you know, the outside world is saying, despite how you want to be perceived, your dreaming big is not as fantastical as it used to be, or it could be. Um, for me, it definitely isn't. I have no desire to be the Secretary General of the United Nations, for example, anymore. But sometimes I still feel pressure that I need to do something extravagant to prove, I don't know what point, but there's a point that needs to be proved somewhere and somehow I need to prove it. Do you feel any of that pressure at all?
1: I think I, I can resonate with the younger you because I think I was quite the same. And I'm quite fortunate as well to come from you know, a family that... Actually, to this day, I'm not even 100% sure that my parents understand what it is that I do or that I want to do. But what I'm sure of is that they're supportive. So yeah. they're, they're supportive of whatever it is. I think my mom knows that I sit in calls and I write things that <laughs> and my dad knows. I'm interested in mining taxation. Yeah, I think that's where it ends. But like, they're immensely supportive. Because, you know, when people constantly tell you, like, you know, you're you're great and you know, you're really good at this. You feel like, okay, so perhaps, you know, I should be doing more with all of this greatness. But like you're saying, as I've grown older, like I remember a younger me, there was, I don't know if it's still a thing because I've been on a bit of a social media intermittent break, but there was a, a time when everyone, like I remember my classmates were getting grants for all of these foundations they were starting and they were like, foundations were really, really important things like libraries and rural areas and helping girls get education and like, Agricultural projects and all of these, like really big things. And I remember thinking, why don't I have some sort of, you know, foundation or fund or trust that I support or that I've started? And there was really nothing ever there for me. And, you know, people, especially, you know, in the context of the world we live in and SDGs and all of those things, you should all be working towards, you know, developing your community, which I believe in. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's ever been my role. Like, I don't think I have. I currently have the expertise or the interest or the passion in inverted commas to be doing any of those grand things but but I also do believe that the work that I do do is in a little way changing the world that I live in hopefully you know mm. I think yeah I think my dreams have are big but they're not I don't. they're not television big so I don't think I currently have any dreams that you could put on a PowerPoint and explain to someone how I'm changing the world because mm. Yeah, that's just not where I am. But I truly do believe that the 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 small things that I'm doing are are impactful. And I'm grateful that I've let go of that. Because yeah, for a very big time there was, you know, all of these foundations about how help, helping people get water and healthcare. And I don't know if you know what I'm speaking about, but yeah. I felt an immense pressure to be in the mix with all of those really, really noble and like well thought out ideas, but I just didn't have one of myself. And it's almost expected that, you know, as a returning graduate into the country, you come and you're, you know, doing something of that sort, but that was never me. So yeah, so I think definitely now my dreams are of a more personal nature, I think, Mm. focusing on what I can actually do, Mm. um, what I am doing and trying to think of the impact I can create even in smaller pockets of communities and not like, you know, saving the world in that sort of way. I hope that answered your question.
0: Yeah, no, it does actually perfectly. that's very true because I think of, for example, you know, those big, like the fancy scholarships that are there. And when you read the people who get accepted into those scholarship programs, they've done really huge humanitarian things. The example mm-hmm. I always use is, you know, they built a wall and a solar farm at their village. And now, you wow. know, <laughs> they got in, um, they've gotten, they're going to Oxford. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. Listen, Not even downplaying, you know, people who are that innovative, and they deserve those opportunities. But I also definitely felt a big pressure to do something to sort of change the world in some big way. And in a way, that was outside of myself and outside of like my personal interests. And you actually find you quite possibly would be more impactful doing something A, you enjoy, but B, it would be more impactful if you're able to pour passion into it. And not being able, hmm. not just doing it because you are expected to. So I really like what yeah. you said. And it, it made me think about that a little bit.
1: That you, that you have skills that are of value and of use in different ways. And I guess it's just the way we, I almost want to say the way we've, we've grown to understand what it is to be doing impactful work and mm. having big dreams. Exactly. Like, you know, and all, I, I, I hate to, you know, I, 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 I bash this app quite a lot, but also, you know, like Instagram worthiness, oh. like, you know, the things that, that, that look good on Instagram, you know, you can put them in a video, there's the backtrack and I'm not like, you know, downplaying the people are doing this really good work, but I think yeah. there is some sort of performativeness to it. And I think especially all of these scholarships and grants that mm. need you to do it mm. have almost forced a lot of people into thinking that's, you know, the only measure of, a true, I don't know, global citizen who's dreaming big and doing their part and you know all of those mm-hmm. things. I'm gonna take this opportunity to say I think you're exceptional and I think the the platform you've created here is exceptional as well. Like and I hope you give yourself the credit for the work because podcasting is a lot of work and you know just being present and being able to hold these conversations and curate all of this information is exceptional.
0: God gonna make a bug cry. Thank you so much. <laughs> no I really appreciate that I really appreciate a lot and Quincy thank you once again for making time to be on the platform I really appreciate it you said some amazing amazing things I'm so excited to share the episode please don't say that (laughs) listen listen basic person who says basic things (laughs) no go listen back I promise you, go listen back and you'll be like, is that you? And then I'll be here to tell you, that is you. You said that. That is you all day. <laughs>
1: But yes, thank you once again. This was really fun. I actually feel like I spoke so much. This is basically my podcast
0: now. So. hundred <laughs> percent. And I would love to have you back. Listen, if I come up with an episode, if you come up with an episode, I'll be like, a say less. We can set it up. We'll do it. We'll definitely welcome, do this again."
1: Welcome to my YouTube channel, everyone. <laughs>
0: here for it listen whenever people are like oh my gosh i want to start something i want to create this kind of content i'm like go for it because i derive so much joy from doing this and i just want like everyone to experience it as well so whatever you want to do here for it
1: love that for you this was yeah this was i really enjoyed it no
0: thank Thank you so much
1: and i hope we can you know keep the conversation going in different places
0: times spaces. always for sure (laughs) (laughs) That's no worries. Okay, thanks and that is the episode a huge thank you and shout out once again to my amazing guest Kudzi for sharing and being so candid on the platform like I said in the episode I am you you are me and I really hope we can both shake off this imposter syndrome as we like progress in life in our careers personally professionally and I wish that for everybody anyone who is struggling finding their place and feeling like they don't belong somewhere you I'm a big believer in what is meant for you will never miss you wherever you are is where you are supposed to be for that period of time and as much as it sucks my situation sucks I'm pretty sure everyone is especially if you're in Zimbabwe you're not exactly where you want to be but um, there are days like today where I feel like this isn't forever and when you get somewhere You know when you experience whatever success is to you, don't downplay that experience and don't, you know, ruin it by feeling like you don't deserve it because you probably do if you've worked hard for it. There are a lot of caveats for that but like, I know we don't always get what we deserve but when you do achieve something, enjoy it. Don't let the imposter syndrome take away from that and... I guess that's all I have to say by way of preachy and testimony and all of that good stuff, but Thank you so, so, so much for tuning in. As always, once again, please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at In This Economy Podcast on Instagram and follow me, your host, at Kimnya Jekka on Twitter. And like I said, we're coming to the end of the season. But just as like a roundup, I really appreciate if wherever you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, um, actually wherever you are, please rate the podcast, leave a comment, your feedback, whatever it is, um just so that you know it helps the platform grow um it gets on more people's radars and we keep on locomoting and once again a huge shout out to everyone who continues to support on the paypal platform guys season four is going to be spectacular as soon as i figure out exactly what we're doing but it's it's going to be amazing but for now we, we we're we're continuing we're moving so thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you next week for next week's episode Should I have like a real outro? Cause this gets awkward sometimes. (laughs) Anyway, I will catch you next week.